All right, take your Bibles this morning. Let's go to Genesis chapter 15. This is our Sunday morning series through the book of Genesis. We started this chapter last week and we made it all the way through verse 1. Remember in chapter 14, Abram had said no to the world and yes to God. And then the Lord came to Abram in a vision in chapter 15. Let me say that again. Abram said no to the world and yes to God. And then God showed up. I don't hear God. I don't think God cares. I don't say no to the world. Say yes to God. And maybe God will show up. It's pretty simple, isn't it? The Lord appeared to Abram and he said, Fear not, Abram, I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. Evidently, Abram had two fears, at least. One would be the presence of enemies and the other would be the absence of God's blessing. And so God comes to Abram and he says, Fear not. Abram, you do not have to fear the presence of the enemies because I am thy shield. You don't have to fear a lack of blessings because I am thy exceeding great reward. The main challenge from last week was this. Is God really enough? Is the blessings of God's presence in our lives enough when the fears arise and we aren't seeing God's promises come to pass? Will God be enough of a reward when life takes an unexpected turn and God's timetable differs from ours? Matthew Henry wrote this, While promised mercies are delayed, our unbelief and impatience are apt to conclude them denied. True believers sometimes find it hard to reconcile God's promises and His providences when they seem to disagree, end quote. And that really spoke to me. Sometimes what's happening in life doesn't match what we see in the promises of God, and our impatience can cause us to say, well, it obviously isn't going to happen. We just need to learn to trust the Lord uh, through those perceived delays because God is never late. Well, if you missed last week's message, I highly encourage you to go back and listen to it. Uh, I trust it will be a help if you're struggling with God's timing and His promises. Let's read verses 1 through 6 again this morning of Genesis chapter uh, 15. After these things, the word of the Lord came unto Abram in a vision, saying, Fear not, Abram, I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. And Abram said, Lord God, what wilt thou give me, seeing I go childless, and the steward of my house is this Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold to me, thou hast given no seed, and lo, one born in my house is mine heir. Behold, the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, This shall not be thine heir, but he that shall come forth out of thine own bowels shall be thine heir. And he brought him forth abroad and said, Look now toward heaven and tell the stars if thou be able to number them. And he said unto him, So shall thy seed be. And he believed in the Lord, and he counted it to him for righteousness. Well, we touched on verses 2 and 3 last week in order to establish how the fear of the absence of God's blessing in Abram's life was a fear that the promise that God had given him that he would have a child was not going to happen. He's fearful that it's not going to come to pass. Remember in chapter 12, God promised Abram he would make of him a great nation and that his seed would possess the land. In chapter 13, God told Abram, I will make thy seed as the dust of the earth. 
And for those promises to come to pass, Abram and Sarai obviously need to have a child. Well, that is not happening yet. And it has been years already since that promise was given first back there in Genesis chapter 12. They're not getting any younger. Amen? Time is marching on. Humanly speaking, time is just slipping away. All hope is lost, it would seem. And this is really the sense of the phrase that Abram is saying to the Lord when he says, I are seeing I go childless. That is a way of saying, I am continuing to go childless. You told me this promise, and yet here I am, continuing on without a child. And I'm growing older. My life is slipping away. And at this rate, I'm going to die without this promise coming to pass. And it gives the sense that Abram is struggling to understand how is this going to happen. Well, sure, in your human mind, how is this going to happen? God said, nothing's too hard for me. Anyway, as a result, Abram pours out his heart to the Lord. May I put it this way, he pours out his complaint to God. He's not complaining about God. He's complaining to God. And it's okay to have some of these seasons in our life. In fact, I encourage people, just be completely open and honest with God. Psalm 142, verses 1 and 2, it says, I cried unto the Lord with my voice. With my voice unto the Lord did I make my supplication. I poured out my complaint before Him. I showed before Him my trouble. God wants us to pour out our heart to Him. God is not wearied by us coming to His throne. Amen. God delights in hearing from us. God is a Father who hears the cries of His children with care. In 1920, Edward H. Joy penned these words of this old hymn. Is there a heart overbound by sorrow? Is there a life weighed down by care? Come to the cross, each burden bearing. All your anxiety, leave it there. No other friend so swift to help you. No other friend so quick to hear. No other place to leave your burden. No other one to hear your prayer. Come then at once. Delay no longer. Uh, Heed his entreaty, kind and sweet. You need not fear a disappointment. You shall find peace at the mercy seat. All your anxiety, all your care, bring to the mercy seat, leave it there. Never a burden he cannot bear. Never a friend like Jesus. So go to God with all that you are, all your concerns, all your cares, all your burdens, all your complaints. Just be real with God and pour yourself out before Him. Lamentations 2.19 says, Arise, cry out in the night, in the beginning of the watches, pour out thine heart like water before the face of the Lord. Psalm 62.8, Trust in Him at all times, ye people. Pour out your heart before Him. God is a refuge for us. Selah. And so Abram, he says to God in verses 2 and 3, What wilt thou give me, seeing I go childless? And the steward of my house is this Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, to me thou hast given no seed. Now isn't this interesting? 
God had just told Abram, I am thy shield and I am thy exceeding great reward. And yet, Abram follows that up by immediately saying, what are you going to give me? What wilt thou give me? Now, Abram had already been given much. God had been very good to him. God had already blessed Abram abundantly with earthly riches. Abram possessed all the earthly possession. I mean, he was rich. He was wealthy. Uh, he had the temporal blessings of this world, and yet Abram was left unsatisfied because the promise of having a child was still unfulfilled. This is a good reminder this morning that all the earthly possessions you can gather will not be enough to fill the void of those things that only God is able to accomplish. Abram and Sarai could not will themselves to have a child. They would have to trust God to bring it to pass if He willed it to be so. But no amount of material possession was enough for Abram to be content. This, all these riches over here didn't change his longing. They are, going to have to, they are going to have to trust in God. They would have to give up, if you will, and just trust God by faith that He would do what only He is able to do. Amen. And while I'm here, let me go ahead and say this. Don't labor to be rich in this world thinking it's going to bring you peace and joy and contentment. Joy and peace and contentment can only be accomplished by what God is able to do in and through us as we give our life to Him, submit to Him by faith. Malcolm Forbes, you may have heard of Forbes magazine. He was the son of B.C. Forbes who founded Forbes magazine. But Malcolm was the one who was attributed with coining a popular phrase. I don't know if it's still popular today, but it certainly was back in the 80s. He who dies with the most toys wins. That was his philosophy in life, and he lived that way. You could tell by how he lived that that was his creed that he lived by. Materialism was his God. But now that he's dead, what good are all those toys doing him? How is that going to help him on the day of judgment when he stands before God? Jesus asked in Matthew 16, 26, For what is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Jesus also said in John 6, 27, Labor not for the meat which perisheth, but for that meat which endureth unto everlasting life. And so I would encourage you this morning, labor to be rich in the Word of God. Does that mean? labor to be rich in the Word of God, labor to be rich in the things of God, labor to be rich towards God, and here's what you'll discover, you are rich indeed. Amen. Amen. Now let's consider Abram's complaint here more closely. And Abram said, Lord God, what will thou give me, seeing I go childless, and the steward of my house is this Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, to me thou hast given no seed, and lo, one born in my house is mine heir. And so Abram, he pours his heart out to God by pointing out how things stood right now. There would be no birthright to inherit the promises. 
All those promises that He would be made a great nation. All these things. Lord, there's nobody to inherit those promises. There's nobody to inherit my estate that's been born in my house. But, but wait a minute. What is happening here with Abram? Abram is already looking at how this is going to play out in his own mind rather than trusting in God's ability to come through. Let, let me put it this way. Abram's already trying to figure out plan B. He's already considering how he's going to have to handle this since it doesn't look like God is going to do it. This isn't faith in God's ability. And the way verse 2 and 3 reads, it seems as though there's a pause between verse 2 and verse 3 because both verses begin with, and Abram said. Are you catching what I'm, I'm suggesting here? Some, some think there might even be an attitude change between verse 2 and verse 3. I don't know. Abram said in verse 2, I'm going to be childless at this rate, Lord. And then there's this pause where God isn't responding. And then Abram says again, he speaks again. He approaches it by saying, behold. He's telling God, look, behold. And I get the sense that he's communicating to the Lord, Lord, am I wrong? Just look, you still haven't given me a child. And there seems to be this comparison between him and others. It's, he says, to me, thou hast given no seed. But to those of my house, I'm seeing children born to them. Do you see that? There's, a, there's almost this comparison here. I, I see what I don't have and I see what they have. And it can be very difficult sometimes when we're going through life and we desire God to do for us what He's doing in the lives of others. And if we aren't careful, we'll begin to compare ourselves. Proverbs 13.12 says, Hope deferred maketh the heart sick. And we have, to be, we have to be on guard. Because once we start to compare ourselves with other people, the Bible says we're not wise. That's why I was just sharing with somebody today. This is why I hate social media. Because social media people post out there what they want the world to see. Look at our marriage. Look at our child. Look at our church. Look at, and then you got other people going, how come mine's not like that? Theirs ain't like that either. Because nobody posts on there when it's miserable. Am I the only one getting this? I don't even have social media and I know it's true. You a bunch of... All right. I can call you cold Baptist today and be right, amen? We're holding steady at 57, God help us. Don't compare yourself with other people is what I'm saying. Why can't I have that? You don't know all the details there. It's like when we come in here on Sunday. Well, I feel like preaching on this point. We, we come in here on Sunday, look at me, I got my suit on, I look good, amen? <laughs> That's hard not to do for me. I always look good, amen? And so, Oh yeah, more pastly. Man, I'm... I've already blown my New Year's resolution. It's over. And, and so we come in here, we look good, we talk good, we act good. But we might have not been acting and looking so good on the way to church. Way home from church. I'm not going to go back because I don't want to bring a bad spirit to church tonight. Come on. we. 
who am I speaking to today? <laughs> All the backsliders are the ones that laid out. Is that what y'all are saying? <laughs> All right, I better stop. <laughs> anyway, be careful. Don't compare yourself. And here's the problem. Sometimes it can even lead to bitterness. And here's why. You'll look at somebody and you'll judge yourself more worthy than them. And you'll say, how come God's blessing them? I, I, and you'll start to think you are the one who deserves those blessings that they are getting. So you better be careful. Now notice the beginning of verse 4. It says, and behold, the word of the Lord. Remember, Abram just said, behold, to me thou hast given no seed. And now instead of looking at the current situation, his attention is drawn to looking to the word of the Lord. How about this? I think there's a principle here for us. God is redirecting Abram back to his word. Back to where the promises come from. God's own word. And and when we find the promises of God not coming to pass in our timing, we need to go back to the promise that God gave us in his word. And I can remember having to do this in my life when I sensed God was calling me here. And God had given me Psalm 119.45, which says, And I will walk at liberty, for I seek thy precepts. But years went by, and it was not coming to pass. And it seemed like nothing was progressing. And I can remember while down there in Mississippi, going to the altar between Sunday school and our Sunday morning service, and I... I took my Bible with me to the altar. I had it open to Psalm 119.45 and I laid it there and I poured my heart out to the Lord. Lord, you gave me this promise. Nothing's happening. It, it seems like all hope is lost. God had my eyes hit Psalm 119.49 which says, Remember the word unto thy servant upon which thou hast caused me to hope. And as I cried out to the Lord about him needing to remember his... <laughs> you know, it's funny, we point things out to God like he doesn't know. As I poured my heart out to God, it was as if God was saying, I haven't forgotten my word. Don't lose hope. Don't let go of the promise. And God reassured me that day he had not forgotten But what did it take? It took a return to the Word. Behold, God, you've given me no no child. Behold the Word of the Lord. Don't forget what I told you. Well, God brings Abram back to his Word, and he reassures Abram by saying, This shall not be thine heir, but he that shall come forth out of thine own bowels shall be thine heir. God lets Abram know clearly, I will fulfill my word to you. You shall have a child of promise who will be thine heir. And in verse 5, God brought him forth abroad and he said, Look, Abram, you told me to behold your childless situation. Now I want you to behold some things. And he brings him abroad and he says, look, or behold, look now toward heaven. Stop looking downward at your situation. 
Look upward. Hey, man. I know this is application, but it's good. Look up. Look to God. He's your answer. Amen. Look heavenward. Don't look at your earthly solution. Hmm. But, but understand and look heavenward. Remember my word. Remember who I am. And I know some are struggling, but you're looking earthward. You're, you're looking at your own way of fixing things. You're looking at your problems wrong. Instead of going over in God's word and saying, that's what He says I ought to do. And if I would structure it that way, things would go a lot better. God says, count the stars if you're able. If you can number the stars, that's how large your seed's going to be. You're going to be multiplied as the stars of heaven. Now what has God just done? He's brought Abram back to his promise. Because remember what he said in chapter 13, I'm going to make you as the dust of the earth. Now he says, I'm going to make you as the stars of heaven. He's bringing them right back saying, don't forget my word. Don't forget my promises. Now understand, Abram at this point is likely over 80 years of old. Of old. Uh, (laughs) Abram is now... Over 80 years old, most likely. Which means Sarai would be over 70 years old. And if God just told you your seed was going to become innumerable at that age, how would you answer? What would be going through your mind? How would you respond? Well, look at Abram's response in verse 6. And he believed in the Lord. And he, God, counted it to him, Abram, for righteousness. You see, what's happened here is Abram's faith was renewed in God and his promise. What profit is there of a promise of God if it does not have faith mixed with it? That's not me talking, that's the Bible. Hebrews 4.2 For unto us was the gospel preached as well as unto them, but the word preached did not profit them not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. If you don't have faith in God's word and, and God who gave the word, what good is the promise? And so Abram believed. His faith is renewed. He counted God faithful. And then God counted Abram righteous. Abram had faith in God and God counted it to him for righteousness. Now, this is one of those verses you have to get. If you want to understand God and you want to understand the rest of your Bible, verse 6, you'd better understand verse 6. Everybody with me how serious this verse is? You've got to get this. In fact, I want you to start turning to Romans 4 where this is used because you will find this passage cited in the New Testament. Romans 4, Galatians 3, James 2. And if you want to understand and define God's salvation, you need to understand Genesis 15, 6. 
In Romans chapter 4, I, I debated on if I was going to read the whole chapter to you. I'm going to trust that you'll follow along as I highlight some of these things for sake of time. Since some of you look like you need to get around a garbage can with a fire out of it. Um, now, if the false teachers of our day who are muddying the waters of the gospel and those who are frustrating the grace of God and those who are corrupting the simplicity that is in Christ, if they would just allow the Word of God to say what it says, then there is only one clear way of salvation. Romans 4 is very plain. In fact, the gospel is so plain that a child can understand it. It is the adults who complicate what the Word of God says. No wonder Jesus said in Matthew 18, 6, but whoso shall offend, which means to entrap or to trip up, but whoso shall offend one of these little ones which believe in me, it were better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck that he were drowned in the depth of the sea. Christian love. It's amazing how skewed our view is of certain things. Jesus said, I just assume you'd be drowned if you offend one of these little ones. Listen, we don't have to complicate what God has made abundantly plain. But for some reason, people get it in their mind that salvation has to be somehow dependent upon you in some way. That it can't be that simple as God has stated in His Word. And yet, what we're going to find here in Romans 4 is that salvation cannot be of works. Of any kind. Now, let's understand, before we get to this, what is it that Genesis 15-6 is saying? When it says, and he believed in the Lord and he counted it to him for righteousness, it was Abram's belief or it was his faith in the Lord which caused him to be counted righteous, which means righteousness was imputed unto him. God's righteousness was given to Abram. You see, none of us can ever be righteous enough on our own to be born again. Listen, our flesh will never be good enough. Therefore, if we're ever going to be righteous according to God, we must have His righteousness imputed to us. Or we might say it this way, we need His righteousness transferred to us. We see this throughout this chapter here in Romans 4. You'll find words like counted, reckoned, impute, imputeth, imputed. They're all the same Greek word. And it all is talking about God's transferring righteousness to us. Notice chapter 4 here in verse 3. For what saith the Scripture? Abram believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. Verse 5, notice... His faith is counted for righteousness. Verse 6, imputed right, imputeth righteousness. Verse 9, faith was reckoned to Abraham for righteousness. Verse 11, righteousness might be imputed. Verse 22, it was imputed to him for righteousness. 
And that same sentiment is carried through verses 23 and 24. How is God's righteousness imputed to us? How do we become the righteousness of God? First notice how verse 2 says, For if, for if Abram, Abraham were justified by works, which means it isn't possible that he was justified by works. But rather, look at the contrast in verse 3. If justification can't come through works, then how is one justified? It's through faith. What does it say? Abram, Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. What made Abraham righteous? Not works, but belief. Faith in God. Verse 5, Worketh not, but believeth. Verse 6, Without works. Verse 9, Faith. Verse 13, Faith. Verse 16, Therefore it is of faith. Verse 17, Believed. Verse 18, Believed. Verse 19, Faith. Verse 20, strong in faith. Verse 21, fully persuaded. Verse 24, if we believe. Because in chapter 3, Paul was making the case of how one cannot be justified by the law, he explains how righteousness came to Abram when he was yet uncircumcised in this chapter. No, he was counted righteous before there was a law. Therefore, the law cannot justify or save. In other words, your works can't do it. Hence verse 13 here, for the promise that he should be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. And in verse 14, faith is made void and the promise has no effect to those who are looking to the works of the law. And who are we to have faith in? Verses 24 and 25. If we believe on him, that raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification. Faith in God through Christ. So how are we saved? It's so clear, isn't it? That's why you got to understand Genesis 15.6. This is the work of God. This is the plan of God. How are we saved? We are saved. We are justified through faith in God, through Christ's finished work on the cross. And once we believe, God's righteousness is transferred to us. I gave Him my old tattered garment. He gave me a robe of pure white. I'm feasting on manna from heaven, and that's why I'm happy tonight. I feel like singing that, but, you know, Sunday morning. 2 Corinthians 5.21, For He hath made Him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. Amen. <laughs> Hallelujah. Listen, Christ took our sinfulness upon Himself on the cross. Amen. He gives His righteousness to those who will believe. It is clear we cannot be saved by works. 
In fact, it is so clear that I am absolutely sickened by the amount of false doctrine out there that's being peddled by other churches that are teaching people you have to do this or you have to do that. I mean, it is upsetting to me because it limits what Christ did on the cross. Either He's all sufficient or He isn't. It's not that He paid for the meal and we kick in the tip. The gospel has been perverted by so many today into something that we have to do. And we can only be saved by grace through faith. Galatians 3 verses 6 through 8. Even as Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Know ye therefore they which are of faith, the same are the children of Abraham. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith. Preach the gospel before unto Abraham, saying, In thee shall all the nations be blessed. No wonder Jesus said, Abraham, he saw my day and he rejoiced. What did he understand? He understood that salvation is only through belief. Do you remember the account in Acts 16 with Paul and Silas and the Philippian jailer? The Philippian jailer, long story short, comes to Paul and Silas there in Acts 16.31 and says, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And their response wasn't, well, if you'll come with me, we'll baptize you. Did you get baptized when you were a baby? Then don't worry about it. They didn't say, well, if you'll join our church here that we're trying to start, do some good works. Give some money to God and the church. Just live the best life you can and hope that in the end, it's all going to work out. They didn't even say, if you'll pray this prayer and repeat after me. But what did they say? He, he says, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Do you know there's never a prayer of salvation in the Bible? But what is there? Belief. Now to be clear, I'm not, I'm not against helping people through that. I, I get it. I'm not against that. I'm just saying. Biblically, it's all about belief. So the question is, have you believed on the Lord Jesus Christ? Have you exchanged your filthiness for Christ's righteousness? Has the Lord's righteousness been credited to your account? James 2.23, And the Scripture was fulfilled which saith, Abraham believed God and it was imputed unto him for righteousness and he was called the friend of God. Are you the friend of God today? You can only do it by faith alone. Or are you trusting in your own merits? Are you trusting in your own works? Are you trusting in a church? Are you trusting in baptismal waters? Matthew 7, 21 through 23, Jesus said, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. What is the Father's will for you to believe? Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? 
and in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name have done many wonderful works. And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. All that matters when it comes to your salvation is if you are trusting in the sufficiency of Christ's blood and his death, burial, and resurrection. Is there somebody here today that needs to be born again? You've never trusted in Christ alone. Christ has already paid it all. It's a free gift. And all you have to do is receive it by faith. You say, boy, you sound like salvation's easy. Yep, I sure do. If you need to be born again today, please don't leave here without getting that settled. We're going to have an invitation time here in just a minute. And I'm going to ask if anybody here needs to do business with God, they would come forward. And if you're in that company that says, I need to be saved, we'll show you from the Bible what it means to be saved. So in closing, I hope you understand the importance of Genesis 15.6. That's how God saved.